All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about the shuffle in the government in Kiev, the perch. Some people could call it a perch on all levels, actually. It's at uh, the level of the office of the president, of Alensky, his office. It's at the level of local government offices as well. And uh, it's pretty significant, I think. I mean, some people seem to be leaving voluntarily, like uh, Timoshenko, at least my guess is that he's, he's resigning voluntarily at uh, the, the deputy office of the president. But other people are embroiled in scandals, and some of these scandals even reached all the way up to the Minister of Defense, though um, Reznikov is going to stay in his office. But um, not a good time to be going through this, uh, this type of shakeup in, uh, in the government if you're, uh, if you're Alensky, is it? Well, not at all. Can I just say, of course, at the moment in Britain, uh, the way it's being reported, and I think in much of the media in the West, it's an anti-corruption purge that these, you know, this is a clear out of corrupt elements within the Ukrainian government. Now, you know, you, uh, Zelensky was elected to the presidency how many years ago now? In 2019 it was. He's waited for the middle of a war <laughs> when there's a military crisis to carry out this clear out. I think purge is not too strong a word. I mean, it is on a huge scale. And I have to say, I'm utterly cynical about that explanation. I don't believe it's an explanation at all. Let's also look at what has happened in the days leading up to this thing. So a couple of days ago, Alexei Aristovich, Zelensky's spin doctor, for many people, the public face of Ukraine, you know, the man who comes out every day, used to come out every day and spin the news and tell us how Ukraine was winning. Uh, suddenly, we find that he's out. He's, he's, he gives us this story about this building in Dnepro. He contradicts the official line. He tries to resign. His resignation is ignored. He's then dismissed. Then a, about a day after, I think it was one or two days after, we see the interior minister of Ukraine and the entire team of the interior ministry die Again, circumstances not completely explained, possibly an accident. That's the official line. Others are muttering about an assassination attempt. Then we have that bizarre interview that we've already discussed by Kirill Budanov, the chief of military intelligence. He doesn't just tell us, which is already disturbing enough, that Ukraine's negotiations in um, March with the Russians were all, uh, you know, were all fake, that the, the Ukrainians weren't negotiating in seriousness. But he also tells us that one of his own operatives who had been infiltrated into the negotiating team, the Ukrainian negotiating team, a man called Kireyev, was murdered by the Ukrainian intellig uh, counterintelligence and security uh, uh, service uh, the SBU. And then just after all of that, we have announcements of this massive purge. And you're absolutely right, it extends right through every single layer and level of the Ukrainian government, all the way up to, to, uh, to Zelensky's own office. Government ministers are involved. The defence minister, Reznikov, has been implicated in some way, but apparently he's going to remain 
one senses because the Americans back him, but all sorts of other people are being sacked and fired all over the place right across Ukraine. And Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council is now issuing orders that these people are not allowed to leave Ukraine as well. So something is going on here. And we got reports over the last few days that about a week ago, the director of the CIA, William Burns, uh, went to Kiev. And inevitably, people are linking Burns's visit to Kiev with this huge purge. And I have to say, I think that's completely plausible. I would be very surprised if Ukraine, the Ukrainian leadership were to carry out a purge of this kind without first having it cleared it with the Americans. But beyond that, I do wonder whether the initiative for this might in fact not have come from the Americans. In other words, that Burns is now um, came along gave Zelensky instructions. He said, you know, we want all of these people out. We want our own people in. And this is what we're seeing. One way or the other, whatever explanation there is for all these moves, and I'm not saying that all of them are connected to each other. You know, maybe Aristovich's resignation was completely you know, unconnected to this. Maybe the helicopter crash was just an accident. I don't know. But one way or the other, it does suggest growing instability in Kiev. And I've discussed in the past how, you know, in the early 60s in Saigon, as the Americans got more and more involved, we saw some signs of instability there, eventually leading to a coup against the president of the country, President Siem. It's beginning to have a look, something of that feel about this in Ukraine now. A purge Massive purge, I think purge is not the wrong word, of the entire military political structure or security structure of Ukraine going on in the middle of a war when the news from the battlefields is turning bad and when the Americans um, are, are incredibly heavily involved. As I said, something is going on, something big is clearly going on, and it suggests growing instability in Kiev. Yeah, the the excuse that they gave for Burns's uh, trip to to meet with Olensky was that uh, he wanted to brief Olensky on Russia's next military moves, which is absolutely ridiculous. He traveled. The CIA director travels to Kiev so that he can brief Olensky uh, on Russia's next moves. Well, exactly. I mean, it, uh, it's I, nonsense. I mean, yeah. if you believe that, then we have a we have not just a bridge to sell you, but many bridges. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just not so, it's just not plausible. Okay, so 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 the question is is what, what what's going on? I mean, when, when stuff like this happens, does this mean that that they're looking to consolidate control around? Uh, the president around Alensky, or are they looking to to remove control around Alensky and perhaps build some sort of new new government? Or I mean, what, what would be the reason for for these types of purges, especially one in the middle of a war? Yeah, I, I have to say, I don't think this is a good look for Zelensky. I mean, look at some of the people who've been sacked. They are people who were very close to him. Timoshenko, Kirill Timoshenko, who is one of his own team and who is now openly being alleged to have been involved in corruption. 
Aristovich, who was his bosom buddy. And, you know, they worked together on all kinds of programs. I, it, it, it looks to me as if somebody is trying to tighten control of the Ukrainian government because they feel that things are going badly wrong and that Zelensky's leadership is becoming increasingly erratic. That's my own take of it. And if this goes on for much longer, and I come back to the South Vietnam affair, well, what eventually happened there was that they decided that the leader, the president, was so erratic that even if they hedged him around with all sorts of people loyal to themselves, he simply wasn't reliable enough, and therefore they removed him. And in Ukraine's case, I wonder whether it's any different at the end of the day, whether part of the reason, part of the rationale for this purge is precisely to put reliable people in the positions of power. So if the, if the decision is finally made that Zelensky must go, there is a, you know, the, there won't be resistance from the rest of the power structure to his removal. It does have that look to me about it. Yeah, they're isolating him, it seems. And, and that yes. would explain Aristovich's statements because he's, he's been saying stuff as if he's, he's upset at the fact that he's, I, I mean, on the one hand, I think he wanted out. I agree with you, he wanted out. But on the other hand, it seems like he's, he's bitter at the fact that, that he had to that he had to leave, and that's why he's he's kind of spilling the beans of, of of everything, all the lies and the deception that was going on. I mean, he's he's completely revealing all of the all of the BS that he himself was uh, yes. was was uh, propagating, which is just such an odd uh, one eighty from from this guy. He went from the chief liar to now the chief truth teller, and I just think to myself, yes. this is a man that it seems like. He couldn't continue his position. He wanted out because he saw the writing on the wall. But on the flip side, he's it's almost like someone who's saying, you know, I want it out, but I'm so bitter at at, um, at what we perhaps what we were promised to get and we didn't get. Perhaps yes. the lies that we were told that then led to me spreading that lie further down the line. So now I'm I'm going to just reveal everything. And, and then I think to myself, he could be controlled by by other people and that's why he's he's alive and talking it seems i mean if he's even doing all these interviews from from ukraine because i, I imagine the the nationalists would are absolutely furious at uh at aristovich and and the things that he's saying i mean he, he's putting his life in in real danger here so i mean the whole thing does seem like the walls are closing in on on Aletsky. He he he's being isolated bit by bit. This is this is I think. I, by the way, I think you're absolutely right about Aristovich. And bear in mind, he's already been put on a public list. So you know, I'm not saying this is a death yeah. sentence, but I mean he has already been put on a list as an enemy of Ukraine, and this is a semi-official Ukrainian list. So, you know, this is this ought to be very, very worrying for him. 
and it's clearly a threat to him to, to shut up and he's not doing so and that suggests either that he's got a lot of protection or that you know he's one of these people who's now utterly fatalistic and thinks that things are going horribly wrong and he has just basically given up and given up completely and is just accepting whatever comes i have to say i don't believe that second explanation he doesn't seem to me like that kind of a man i think he's hitting back because i think he thinks he has got protection from somewhere now whether he's right about that is another matter but overall i i have to say i've been thinking a lot about this over the course of today this um purge in kiev i've been looking at who be who's been sacked my own sense is there are people close to Zelensky. This is the story here, that what is going on is that there is a clear out of people who are close to Zelensky. And I think the initiative for this has come from the United States. And I would also add that Budanov, who is this military intelligence chief, apparently the word is in Ukraine that he too is very close to the United States. And remember, we've been discussing how he's suddenly been given all this prominence recently. Budanov has been coming out, giving all these interviews and things of this kind. He's suddenly become a very public figure over the last few weeks. We were previously in earlier programs wondering why that may might be. Well, I wonder whether, in fact, he's been positioned for some more important role in the Ukrainian government. And, of course, we've also got other reports that Zeluzhny, they were trying to build up Zeluzhny, the commander of the army, some time ago. He seems to be unaffected by all this purge. And one wonders whether perhaps, you know, he was put on the cover of Time magazine, I believe, and things of this kind, whether maybe uh, Zeluzhny as well might be slated for some kind of promotion. It would not surprise me. Yeah, let's not forget that uh, not only did Burns visit Kiev, we also had Boris Johnson visit Kiev. Absolutely. As what, in what capacity, who knows? But, um, you know, I, I don't think he was representing the UK government, that's no. for sure. So who exactly was he representing when he made his trip to Kiev? Uh, you know, last time Boris made a trip to Kiev, we saw the outcome. Now Boris makes a trip to Kiev and we have this purge. I mean, I wonder if Boris came to, went to Kiev to deliver a message to Zelensky or deliver a warning to Zelensky, given how, how close Boris appears to be to, to Zelensky. They've obviously well, developed I, I... some sort of, of affection for one another. Who, who knows? I mean, <laughs> well, is this I coincidence? No, I don't think it's coincidence, actually, and that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about Boris's trip, but, I mean, it's come out of nowhere. It was completely unexpected. Uh, uh, we see this huge purge going on all around us, all around Zelensky. I wonder whether Boris went there, either with some kind of a warning, which is quite plausible, from, you know, the British. The British, there's a the sort of theory that the British are particularly supportive of Zelensky and that he's to some extent, I would say he's their man, exactly. I had an exaggeration, but that they feel that they want to, you know, support him and that they're not so keen on Zeluzhny and that there's always, you know, been these struggles, possibly. But I think it's also perhaps Boris trying to 
provide support to Zelensky, who is his personal friend. I mean, you know, the two have become very linked with each other. So maybe that's what this is all about. But I don't think it's a coincidence that all of this is happening all at the same time, that Zelensky's going, meeting people, someone like Boris, um, even as this, so many of his closest associates. And remember, Aristovich and Zelensky were very close. I mean, that, I mean, it was never very clear what exact role Aristovich had in the Ukrainian power structure. But it was clear that when he spoke, he spoke with Zelensky's voice, so to speak. I mean, he was doing it on Zelensky's behalf. So, you know, Aristovich's dismissal, and it was a dismissal, he wasn't even allowed to resign, was clearly a big event. And it clearly, it looks to me as if it was intended to weaken Zelensky. And I suspect all of these moves are the same. And I wonder whether Boris, who's presumably still receiving intelligence um, reports, he's the next prime minister, whether he wasn't worried about it, made a dash to Kiev, tried to hold things together there for his friend Zelensky, gave Zelensky some kind of support, indicated to Zelensky that he still uh, got friends in London. Yeah, the, the, the word is that Zelensky uh, invited Boris to Kiev. It was on Zelensky's invitation that Boris made this sudden trip to Kiev. So maybe you could also say that Zelensky started to yeah. realize that the walls are closing in on him. And he says, I yeah. need some support from someone in the collective West. Who better than than my buddy Boris? So, Boris. you know, Boris, yeah. can, you, can you get to Kiev right away so you could... You know, show, so you can show that I've still got the support of of the collective yes. West because the, the 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 vultures are are circling. You know, yes, I, possible. Yes, uh, it's possible. Yes. Anyway, I mean, the whole thing so, is the, yeah. go on. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say. I mean, the no, whole no, thing is interesting. I mean, clearly something big is going on in Kiev, and I have to say, to me looking at trying to make sense of it all, looking at the backgrounds of all of these people, I do get the sense, as I said, that it is Zelensky himself who is the ultimate target of this. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you one more question to, to wrap up the video. Maybe it's related to this, but maybe not. And it has to deal with the, with the whole tank issue. Um, actually, it has to deal with this whole tank thing, this escalation with the tanks, this panic with the tanks, as well as uh, the, the story about uh, Sikorsky and how he was, he, he allegedly um, was sitting in on a meeting or had information that during the first 10 days of the, of the special military operation, the Polish leadership was actually um, thinking about um, jumping into Ukraine and partitioning Ukraine. This is during the first two weeks, of course, the Polish prime minister he denies any of this, and he's saying, Sikorsky, you know, shut your mouth. Sikorsky, obviously people who don't know Sikorsky, 2014, foreign minister of Poland. He was involved in the Maidan coup. He was the guy that tweeted out, thank you, USA, with the Nord Stream um, sabotage. So anyway, this, this guy's, look, he, he knows, he knows things. I don't think there's a doubt about that, that he's got his... His, uh, his informants, and he has his, his way of getting information. Anyway, he made this statement about the partition of, of, Ukraine, of Ukraine by Poland in the first 10 days. We have this panic 
about getting tanks to, uh, to Ukraine and then, and then even F-16s and all this equipment. And the narrative, and I've been thinking about this, the, the narrative is always along the lines of all of this equipment is going to be gathered up and sent to the front lines. Ukrainian military is going to get trained up on how to use Leopards, how to use uh, Bradleys, how to fly F-16s, whatever. And this is all going to move to the front lines in order to, to prolong the war, in order to deliver uh, a breakthrough towards Crimea, whatever it is. What if that's not the narrative? Or what if they want us to believe that's the narrative, but the real situation that, that may unfold is that all of this equipment is actually going to be used for a situation where, as things go bad in the East, continue to go bad in the East and collapse in the East, all this equipment is going to be used in order to make a move on the West. The intention is really not to send all of this equipment to the front line. This intention, the intention is to make sure that by springtime, this force that allegedly Poland is building, this 300,000 strong force, as well as other NATO support, will be used to secure a piece of, uh, of West Ukraine. That was the initial thought way back in the beginning of the special military operation, according to the statements of Sikorsky. Mm. Because well, one thing yeah. that bothers me, uh, real quick, just to finish, one thing that bothers me is that we're saying that, you know, these, these weapons aren't going to make any difference and these tanks are going to actually bog down Ukraine, the Ukraine military, and they have to train people and the maintenance and the distance and all these things. I mean, if we know this and we're saying this, obviously NATO, NATO knows this as well. The commanders in NATO know this. So it, it just seems very odd that they're, they would just be so, so flippant about saying, you know, let's just, yeah, let's, let's send all of these tanks and all this equipment to the front line so that you know, it can get them annihilated by the Russians. I, I just have this feeling that something else may be at play and we're all being led to believe that all of this stuff is going to be used for some sort of offensive in the East, where I'm, I may, I'm starting to think that the collective West understands that the East is lost in a way. Yeah. Hold on well, as much as you can, but, you know, it's time for us to, to get something out of this conflict, in other words, so that this isn't a complete loss. I don't know. I just yeah. wanted your thoughts about that. I could be completely well, wrong about my thinking here. I could be completely off. I mean, yeah, the, 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 I mean, I think it's entirely legitimate to think about this because, first of all, ask yourself a question. Where is this equipment actually going to go initially? It's not going to go to Ukraine. It's going to go to Poland. <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this is the first point to understand. All Western military equipment destined for Ukraine goes to Ukraine through Poland. If we're talking about tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, wheeled armoured personnel carriers, wheeled tanks, Patriot missiles, where are they going to be? Where are the Ukrainians going to train on these things? They are going to train in Poland. That's where it's going to happen. And it's going to be weeks, actually, most probably months before the Ukrainians are in a position to move all, this, all, all the troops that train on this equipment, with all this equipment, to the front lines. And, of course, we have an operational in crisis. 
in eastern Ukraine, in Bakhmut now. I mean, you know, I, I was getting reports this morning, I'm sure you've seen them as well, that, you know, the ring around the Ukrainian troops in Bakhmut is closing. It's closing literally by the hour. So, I mean, they, they don't have months to, you know, get people familiarised to any great extent on how the Leopard 2 works. Even if you could cobble all these Leopard 2s together, you know, within the next couple of days, it would take weeks, months to arrive. Training up on how to use Bradleys. I read a very interesting article about this, that, you know, it's a difficult machine to learn how to use. Once it's used, it can be very potent. But until that point, it's, you know, seven years, you know, the Lebanese army hasn't been able to master them in seven years. Ukraine, even if their troops are better trained, and you know, better qualified. Well, realistically, they're not going to be able to do it in a few weeks, not properly. But if you want to create some kind of intervention force in Poland, well, you have all this equipment there, and you have a Polish army, which has already given away large numbers of its tanks, large numbers of its infantry fighting vehicles, large amounts of its artillery, crab, self-propelled howitzers, very like the self-propelled howitzers the British are providing that uses the same gun and turret, apparently. That's all been sent already to Ukraine, where it's all being destroyed. So if you really want to build an expeditionary force in Ukraine, rather to intervene in Ukraine, well, all this equipment is piling up in Poland, ready to be used. Now, you also have this covert mobilization by the Poles, which is taking place. 300,000 men, apparently, allegedly, are being called up, being trained as well. Well, let's assume that this, uh, these events in Ukraine, in eastern Ukraine, play out. We've seen that there's advances by the Russians in Zaporozhye. There was information that they're now pushing forward in Vugledar. As I said, Bakhmut is in an operational crisis. Well, you can see that there might be a time window still to put together an intervention force. The Poles, of course, are already familiar with the Leopards too because they operate, operate it themselves. So you could, 100 extra Leopard 2s is a considerable striking force for the Poles, who already have a large number of those. And of course, they've got infantry fighting vehicles. They're more familiar with this kind of equipment. You could see. I mean, I'm not saying you're right, but you know, if you, if you no, take I, a step yeah, back and think about this, uh, all of that could make a great deal of sense. And bear in mind, why is Sikorsky coming up with all this information now? I mean, he's been very mum I, about I it. I mean, I mean, well, I know, well, you know, but I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, this is all, you know, preparing the ground for something, for something like that. And Sikorsky isn't just well connected in Poland. He was the foreign minister, of, obviously, in Poland, but he was also uh, um, a senior official within the European Union. He had a I think he had a position there. And of course, he's married to Anne Applebaum, who is a well-known neocon in the United States. 
Um, so he's presumably fairly well informed about American thinking too. And I believe he's been in Britain. So he's got all of these connections. He knows every, lots and lots and lots of different people. And you can see perhaps that he might be coming out now because, you know, this is perhaps the new plan. East, Eastern Ukraine is lost. Try and create some kind of readout or, you know, fallback position in Western Ukraine, built up, build up perhaps a mixed Polish-Ukrainian force in Poland, have it ready for when the collapse in Eastern Ukraine comes. And in the meantime, put all your people in place in Kiev so that if you have to move against Zelensky quickly, you're in a position to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying this is what's going on. This is just a no. thought that I, had, that I had because I'm having a hard time trying to understand why is Poland and Lithuania, why is Poland and Lithuania going so crazy about these tanks? It seems like they're under pressure. Yes. You know, they, it seems like we got to get these tanks right away so that we can do something in like the next month or two. It seems like they understand they have like a two, three month window for something. And I think to myself, I go, yes. a two, three month window for what? For for the east of Ukraine? That's not a yes. two, three month window. That's a two, three week yeah. window. What's going on in, in Bakhmut? And then I think about the trip that they made, that they made to Lviv, uh, Poland and Lithuania. I think about this Lublin triangle where it's, it's kind of resurrecting the, the Polish, Lithuania, Ukraine um, history there. You know, I, I've read stories about beefing up Patriot air defense systems in Poland on the border there. You know, they're, they're building that up as well. You know, you, Sikorsky said that in the first 10 days we had this plan to partition Ukraine. I mean, plans don't just go away usually. They kind of keep them lying around most times just in case you have to dust them off and, and rethink them. And, you know, tanks to me are not defensive. Tanks are meant to, to go on the offense. I mean, you use tanks so you can gobble up territory. But there is no territory to gobble up in well, Ukraine. They know that, well, that the Russians have built up fortifications in the east of Ukraine. They know they've built up uh, uh, dragon's teeth and, and mined everything. Where are you going to send your tanks? Why well, would you just, even think about that? Uh, well, especially if you're just talking about 100 of them. I mean, 100 of them, 100 mm. tanks would yeah. be a powerful strike force if deployed in western Ukraine as part of an occupation force there. But not, I think if you're going to throw them against the Russian army, which has 10,000 tanks apparently in reserve and is busy modernizing its tanks at the rate of a thousand a year. I mean, you know, it, it's not realistic to do that. But can I just make a further point? And, you know, this is, you know, perhaps I should say to our viewers that, we're, you know, we're an interesting this. thought we're, exercise. We're, we're engaging yeah. in a thought exercise, yeah. which is, of course, we see all these German generals who are very, very unhappy about supplying Leopard 2s to Ukraine. We see the fact that the Germans aren't happy. Well, you know, if the Germans deep down know, or perhaps their intelligence agencies are telling them that these tanks aren't really intended for Ukraine at all, but they're really intended in order to enable the Poles to occupy Western Ukraine. Well, 
then, of course, you can fully understand why the Germans are so unhappy about this whole affair uh, and why they're resisting so strongly this entire exercise. So, you know, that would make sense as well. Yeah, there's another thing that stuck with me that, that you said in a video we did about a week. Uh, let me mention three things that, that are also sitting with me as, as I was thinking about this. You said in a video that we did a couple of weeks ago about how um, if if Poland were to take the west of of Ukraine, the east of what was once Poland, then it opens up Pandora's box with regards to the the west of Poland, the east of Germany. It, it opens up that that discussion, and perhaps this is making Germans very nervous. Yes, so, I think so it they're is. saying, you know, my God, if, if if Poland goes through with this, then this this could. This is a big deal as far as post-World World War II boundaries in Europe, and it could be making well, the German leadership or the German generals very, very nervous. That's the first thing. The, uh, the second thing is these reports about, I want to choose my words carefully. Um, you could probably do a better job of describing this. What's going on in Transcarpathia with people of Hungarian ethnicity and how a lot of these men it seems to me, these are the reports that I'm getting, that the, 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 Ukraine milita the Ukraine authorities are aggressively sending men of military age from the west of Ukraine to the front lines. To me, I look at this and I say, hmm, it seems like, like they're, 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 they're moving ethnicities out of this area i, I don't know yes. maybe yes. maybe i'm stretching yes. things i i, I did think but, i did think but, you already you know that yeah yeah that, that that's been bothering me i've been sitting sitting down thinking about that it seems you know why are they so aggressive over there yes in fact and just just Perhaps. just just, and, just to supplement yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, to, just to supplement that of course and you've seen this as well there's been reports reports we can't confirm but they do seem to be based on ukrainian public sources that um, in Transcarpathia, there is now a, a great anguish because so many of these young men or men, some of them not so young, have died in the fighting and that there's even claims that half the men in one brigade have been killed. Uh, you know, we can't confirm these reports. They may be wrong, but, you know, it does seem that rumours are circulating in, in Transcarpathia. And of course, you want to send an occupation force into a particular area and you fear that that occupation force might encounter some resistance. Well, you might want to transfer them away, the young men or the men who might be the resistors to some other location <laughs> um, to make it easier for you to occupy that area and to limit your resistance, the resistance you might encounter in that particular area. I have to say it's a appalling thought. I mean, it's Can I, an incredibly cynical yeah, but, thing to do, but it's, it's a sin. But let me just throw one more thing at your way. And, and the other thing that I can't quite piece together, but I think may plays into this thought exercise is this insistence of the 1.3 trillion in reparations from Germany. You know, I, I kind of think to myself, I go, why all of a sudden are they banging on so hard about this 1.3 trillion? Maybe it's for domestic reasons. Maybe they need the money 
for the domestic economy, maybe law and justice, this is a good talking point for elections, or just maybe this is a way once again to deal with Germany if and when this this incursion into the west of Ukraine happens. I mean, maybe yes. this is yes part of this puzzle. Yes, I, I, I could very well be. And can I just say, I mean, I, I can absolutely say that in Germany, if the Poles move into East, into Western Ukraine in the kind of way that we've been talking about, that will be a very unpopular move in Germany. I mean, the Germans will be very alarmed about this. They already don't like this Polish government, which is stridently anti-German and which has been trying to put Germany on the spot all the time. The Germans will be very, very unhappy. And of course, they will also be concerned that Poland is getting too big for its boots, as they would see it, that Poland is becoming too big. It's taking on too many, too much territory. It's taking on commitments that might suck in Germany as well. I think there'll be a lot of opposition in Germany if such a thing were done. So, you know, the German aspect of all of this is not to be underestimated. And of course, from the Polish side, and it's important to stress here, we're not talking about every poll. I mean, there will be enormous resistance to this, I suspect, in Poland as well. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. But from the Polish government's point of view, I can see that they might feel that talking about reparations, if it does nothing else, it keeps Germany on the defensive. It puts Germany on the back foot. It also reminds everybody about the Second World War. And it creates this narrative that Poland lost its lands in the, in the East because of this corrupt deal that the Germans and the Russians did with each other in August 1939. And this is Poland rectifying that injustice. And if the Germans object, given that, you know, they're sort of shown a tendency to be on good terms with the Russians. Well, it's just because the Germans are the Germans and um, that the Germans really should put up and shut up. So I think this is this is quite possible. You know, it's it's entirely plausible that this is indeed the narrative. And Britain, of course, has very strong political ties with Poland. And the British government is an ally of Poland and tends to see Poland as a one of its key allies now in Europe. And of course, Poland has many friends in the United States. You know, I said Anne Applebaum married to Sikorsky. And I don't want to, we, wish we shouldn't run away and, you know, say all of these people are working in collusion with each other. We don't know that. But I mean, you know, if you want to give an example of a neocon thinker, well, you know, Anne Applebaum fits the bill and she is obviously sympathetic to Poland. She's married to Sikorsky. You can see how all of the, you know, the pieces could fall into place in a certain way. Yeah. All right. It's just uh, just yeah. something that came up it's, with yes, this purge and everything. And it is. Because I, I just always think to myself, we know we know the troubles of tanks and all these weapons yes. going all the way to the east of Ukraine. Obviously, they know the troubles as yes. well. So then why yes. are they banging yes. on about it so yeah. much? Yeah, indeed. And on that, I mean, there's been now more commentaries by American officers 
I mean, there was Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis has talked about, you know, the problems of deploying tanks in the battlefields. Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling has been talking in the same sort of way. Of course, they're talking principally about American tanks, but a lot of what they say would appear to apply to Leopard 2s. So why this? I, I have to say, I've been a bit baffled by it myself. I mean, why do people think that this is any sort of solution to the problem that Ukraine is facing now. It clearly isn't. In the East, but it may in be a East. solution to, in the, East. to the yeah. West. It might be a solution in the West. And, 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 it, and, it, would, and it would give, on a, on a political level, if, if this was to happen, and this is a yes. big if, yes. say this is a huge if, but if yes. this was to happen, and if it was to happen successfully, then it would provide perhaps the framework for for an off ramp to to this crisis yes. in a way. Well, it, it would, See it would. I, I mean, mean uh, yes. Yeah. Now, can I just go back about something I said before about you know that if the, the you know the, the, all these young men, all these men are being sent from Transcarpathia to fight in order to create a space for you know an occupation force to move in and to remove the resistance, I said that would be a cynical and terrible thing to do. But so many cynical and terrible things have been done over the course of this war. I didn't want to imply that that made it implausible. I'm just saying that, you know, it would be just another act of extreme cynicism on top of all of the others. And if the agenda now, if the real plan now is partition of Ukraine, well, that would be another further act of extraordinary cynicism coming on top of all of the others. And it would just confirm a point which we've been making all along on this channel, that this has never really been about helping Ukraine. Yeah. And then you have the, the news about uh, Ukraine approaching Lukashenko and Belarus for some sort of non-aggression agreement as well. I don't know if yeah. you read that. It, it came Absolutely. in in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, which would then imply that, that, you know, they want to create the conditions where they don't have to worry about yes. something from, yes, from the North moving South. Yeah. Well, that's, that's entirely right. But then again, I mean, that begs the question of what that massive Russian buildup in Belarus is all about. And I can't help but think that it could very well be that the Russians are getting wind of all of this and are building up in Belarus because they're worried about what is coming from the West and, you know, that this intervention force might be connected to this. Anyway, we will see, but it's certainly the game. Yeah. The game is becoming extremely complicated. And I think that's an important thing to say. And uh, when a game becomes as complicated as it is now, that is a sign that we're moving into the end game. Same happened with Syria, by the way. You remember with Syria, it was very straightforward at the beginning. It was an attempt to overthrow Assad with the United States and its allies supporting various people who were trying to overthrow Assad. And when it became clear that wasn't going to happen, it all started to get more and more complicated, as the end game often is. And the end game can last a very long time indeed, sometimes much longer than the big war. So we, we could be moving now towards some kind of end game scenario. And this 
if, the, if there are these thoughts circling around, that will be another sign of it and connected with this purge in Kiev. And bear in mind, you know, Zelensky's roots are in southeastern Ukraine. Krivoy Rog is, his, I believe, his hometown, which is in the south of Ukraine, not far from Kherson region. And he would probably not be happy to see Ukraine partitioned in this way, or at least so I'm guessing. So that might explain why there are moves to sort of isolate him and perhaps prepare the ground to get rid of him. And I understand that Aristovich also has a background which is a Russian or Russian-speaking background. I don't know very much about, you know, Aristovich's, you know, antecedents, but, you know, you could perhaps start to see that beyond our, uh, Zelensky's unreliability, there might be other reasons why some people might not want him to be there. I'm going to finish by just repeating what I have said before. This is, would be an incredibly unwise and reckless thing for Poland to do, to move into Western Ukraine. Even if they got the green light from both the Americans and the Russians to do it. If they want to see how badly it can turn out, look again at Turkey and its interventions in Syria and just see how badly that worked out. And Poland would be making a huge mistake in my opinion, if they entertain these things. They would upset the Germans. They would certainly annoy some people in Moscow. And they would find themselves, I think, getting themselves into a no end of trouble if they did something like this. Yeah. This type of purge to me does signify, uh, in a way, the, the powers that be saying, you know, we're, we're winding down the government that was responsible for everything that's happening in the Donbass in the East, and it's time to reconstitute things for a new, mm. a, a new initiative, a new chapter. This is my that's, own view. That, that's the way. It, it that's looks exactly to me. how it looks. As I said, I mean, I've yeah. thought about this a lot. I mean, I've come up with various theories, but I, the more I thought about it, the more, uh, the more my view has crystallized. That, as I said, this is really directed at Zelensky more than anyone else. And that does All look right. like um, somebody's closing the chapter on that particular affair. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, leave it there. That was a, an interesting thought exercise. We'll, yes. We'll see how all of this plays out. Yes. com. We are on Rockfin as well. And the Durant Shop 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.